0: Greetings, friends! Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Grappling with Popular Belief. Last month, I talked about the very beginning of life by venturing through the topics of attachment and perinatal mental health. This month, I'm moving forward a little bit into early childhood, where I am going to ask a question that spiked my interest a couple of years ago. I'm asking the question, should we be talking to children about mental health? So a couple of years ago, I was working on my field placement in this adorable school in a very rural community. This school had grades pre K to eighth grade, and it was a pretty affluent school and there was no shortage of resources here. The educators and leadership at this school were skilled and super compassionate. There was a warmth about this school. I don't know if it was my excitement to start working in a school in general, or if it was a healing experience because I had my own difficult elementary school experience when I was young. But whatever it was, this field placement was full of growth, support, and exciting experiences. I walked through the doors feeling ready to do good work with young people. I ventured out into the world on field trips with these kiddos and extended the social and emotional learning to nature and museums. It was really fun. My prior experience with youngsters was with Child Protective Services, which was very different, and I enjoyed that on some level, but the work was a bit more reactive and punitive than what I would really like to do long term. What was awesome about this counseling gig is that it was a position in which the school counselor had class with all of the students. So that means that every child in the school had access to a mental health professional and someone who was providing education around social skills and related topics. The kids would come into the room and it felt less like a class and more like a very supportive group or other type of supportive environment. We would talk with them about their feelings and their experiences, and we also provided education around social skills, coping mechanisms, and self-awareness, and lots of other things. One day when I was hanging out with the third graders, one of the students actually asked me, hey Alyssa, do you think we can meditate today? I mean, what else could someone in my position ask for? It's so exciting to see how quickly kids soak up coping skills like sponges. Amongst all of my excitement and enjoyment of this work, I couldn't help but reflect on the fact that in my elementary experience, there was nothing like this. And I couldn't help but think about how helpful something like that would have been, especially with combating being picked on at school, home stress, and just general low self-worth these things would have been undeniably fortifying. I found myself wondering, this is such a wonderful and important thing to be teaching these children. Why isn't this in all schools? As you may guess, I have some hypotheses on this. And please let me know your thoughts, because I am eager to hear what they are. One of my thoughts is that we still have this big, ugly stigma stuff that is always cramping our mental health style. And it really affects our ability to fight the good fight and provide a lot of mental health care in different environments. Another thing is that there's a huge amount of pressure on educators and school professionals to push academics. Standardized testing is running rampant and the amount of pressure on students to perform at a high level is excruciatingly high right now. Interestingly enough, a lot of psychologists are theorizing that this is actually leading to a big increase in anxiety and other mental health challenges for our youth. I don't know about you, but this seems like even more of a reason to beef up mental health presence and teaching in schools. Some listeners might be wondering, hey, we have a school counselor. Why don't they provide these classes for my child and their classmates? Well, I will tell you, there are certainly counselors in some schools that are providing these services, and in other schools, they might have outside agencies coming into their schools and doing some prevention class teaching or training children on social skills and things like that. But there is a big elephant of an issue with counselors being able to provide this expansive mental health education that produces the prevention that we're looking for. That big elephant is a number, and that number is the typical student-to-counselor ratio in schools. In the United States, the average student-to-counselor ratio is 250 students to one counselor. So let's break that number up a little bit more here. The CDC has a whole bunch of statistics about children and mental health, And one of the things that they report is that about 7% of children aged 3 to 17 years old has a diagnosed anxiety disorder. About 7% have a diagnosed behavior problem, 3% have a diagnosed depression, and 9% have diagnosed ADHD. In schools, children who carry these diagnoses are most often provided services via a 504 plan or an IEP, which is an individualized education plan. School counselors are often the primary people putting these together and sometimes are providing counseling as a condition to the child's plan. Maybe you're thinking, hmm, those numbers seem kind of small. But if we are looking at a school of 250 children, that is at least 35 kids who are struggling with anxiety. And those are just kids who have been diagnosed with anxiety. We know that anxiety is very widespread and that many people who are experiencing it are not actually getting treatment or receiving a diagnosis for it. And that's just anxiety. That doesn't address depression or behavior, struggles or other pieces of the puzzle. A counselor is responsible for providing counseling support to these students, but they are also faced with administrative tasks, responding to crises throughout the school, participating in school-wide initiatives and assemblies, providing reports to school districts, facilitating school choice, and helping with college counseling, the list can go on and on. And the bottom line is, there just aren't enough mental health professionals in schools. And why is that? Why is funding for mental health so poor? Our country allocates crazy amounts of money to things like entertainment and finance management, but we are not putting money towards helping our children grow up to have mental wellness and be resilient. Plus, prevention saves money in the long haul. Just like taking care of your body by eating healthy foods and getting regular exercise, helps you stay healthy long-term and saves money on medical costs later on, putting prevention in schools and helping children develop healthy coping skills helps prevent the need for mental health or addiction treatment later on in life. It's actually quite baffling if you think about it. To give you folks a more personalized idea of just how sad the funding is for mental health, Many clinicians who are hired as therapists or social workers are often offered positions starting at around $30,000 a year. This is with a master's degree and often even a preliminary license. There are certainly positions that are better paying than this, but a vast portion of them, specifically in the nonprofit industry and skilled nursing facilities, the wages are absurdly low nonprofits are often dictated how to pay their clinicians based on government funding. When I worked at a nonprofit right out of grad school, I not only made these very low wages, but when I had to go to training for my job, they paid me $10 an hour with a master's degree and plenty of student loans to prove it. Anyway, I won't go too deeply in the issues with funding and wages in my field, cause that could be a very long conversation. <laughs> Over the last few years of working in schools with children and doing a lot of this prevention-based work, I have been becoming more and more passionate about the absence of mental health education in schools. I have seen the data, I have provided the services, and I've had parents and students come back and thank me. I'm only becoming more and more baffled by our lack of interest in promoting mental wellness in our country and in our communities and in media. So I took this bafflement to the streets. I collected some data on how parents feel about talking to their young ones about mental health, as well as whether or not they should be learning about it in school. I felt like I should talk to parents because as I've mentioned before, I am not a parent myself. And I know that as a mental health professional, I come with a lot of bias. Prior to doing my data collection, I actually believe that maybe it feels uncomfortable for parents to think about their child learning about mental health in school. Parents out there, you certainly proved me wrong. I asked people if they were talking to their child about mental health, if their child is receiving any mental health or social-emotional learning education in school. I asked if parents believe that children should learn about mental health in school, And I asked if there were any topics that they would be worried about their child learning pertaining to mental health. The results definitely did not support my hypothesis that parents are worried about their children learning about mental health. Not even a little bit. I ended up with a small group of participants, around 40 people, that responded. I asked for people who had children between the ages of 5 and 12, although some people responded about their younger kiddos as well. The people who responded were living in various areas, mostly either Pennsylvania, where I live now, or from Massachusetts, where I grew up and worked for many years. A big obvious thing here is that because I am a social worker who has worked in the field for about six years now, I do have a lot of contacts who work in mental health or have similar beliefs as myself. I do want to put that out there so you know that I'm aware of that bias and that so you are aware of the bias here. Despite what I just said, I still found the results pretty surprising, especially because although a lot of the people who responded do work in my field, many of them didn't, and some of them actually have very different beliefs than I do. Okay, so to talk about the results a little bit. The first question I asked is whether or not parents are currently talking to their children about mental health. 90% of folks said yes, with about 10% saying no. That was the first statistic I found pretty surprising. I talk about mental health all the time with my friends and family and sometimes even strangers, but I didn't know that y'all were talking about it too. That's pretty awesome. I got some really great open-ended responses to this question. One of my favorite comments was someone who mentioned that they teach their daughter that taking care of their mind is just as important as taking care of their body. Some people also mentioned that they discussed things like self-esteem, emotional regulation, and coping skills. And they acknowledged their limitations because they're not trained in mental health. So they didn't have a complete and full understanding of all the different ins and outs. Most of the folks who were not talking to their children about mental health mentioned that their children were a little too young to understand the information. The next jaw-dropper here is where I asked whether children should be learning about mental health in school. Just about everyone who responded said yes. There were definitely some caveats here. One person mentioned that they wouldn't want it taught if it was being done by someone who didn't really have a thorough understanding of the subject because they were worried that it might increase the negative stigma or create shame. Other people mentioned that they really wanted the information to be age appropriate if their kids were gonna be learning about it. This was a lot of fun. I actually really liked soliciting responses for for these questions. I'll admit I was pretty disorganized with the data collecting and I realized that my research skills from college had kind of faded. (laughs) Either way, I got great responses and I actually had some really fulfilling conversations with parents as a result of this. If you're listening and you're one of the people who responded, I want to give you a huge shout out. Thank you so much. To shift gears a little bit here, I want to talk about the fact that research supports that curriculums that are focused on prevention, provide mental health education, and are trauma focused actually improve academic outcomes. It makes a lot of sense if you consider the brain science here. When a person is stressed or escalated, brain function tends to be taken away from executive functioning and cerebral parts of the brain that are really important for problem solving. For the individuals who are at a high level of stress regularly or they've experienced trauma, they might be sitting in a classroom and they may be able to hone in on what's going on intermittently. But it's very hard for them to stay focused on multiplication for long periods of time when they have all these negative things swarming around their brain and their body is trying to respond to a threat rather than focus on academics. This points to a need for more than just prevention education, right? Because just like our academic subjects, if someone is in this fight-or-flight response mode, then it is going to be difficult for them to learn the stuff about mental health and taking care of our brains just the way it's hard for them to focus on the other topics. The physical needs definitely need to be addressed as well so that good effective learning can be done. You may be wondering, well how do we address that piece of it? Fortunately, a lot of educators are already implementing things in their classrooms that help with this situation. Different types of self-care exercises that help children's minds and body get to a place where they can focus can be things like yoga, meditation, movement breaks, singing a song, having a community meeting to share their feelings. There's a plethora of options here, and Utilizing different ones and creating a variety of different opportunities like these for children is going to be the most successful, because as we all know, not everyone enjoys each of those different things and not everyone is going to benefit from them. Another important piece here is having a trained mental health professional in the building. This gives the children an opportunity to have someone to go talk to when they're having a difficult time And then the professional can provide therapeutic interventions during the school day so that students can build resilience while learning their academics. I also want to quickly mention the topic of censorship. I took this really great course in undergraduate school that was all about cursing. We also talked a lot about censorship and whether or not we should be censoring curses or other things from children. One of my favorite takeaways from this course is that children will eventually be exposed to curse words, nudity, and other things like that, tying it back to the episode, mental health. But providing age-appropriate education and guidance around these subjects will be much more fortifying for them than just avoiding the conversation altogether, like it's the plague. That being said, use your compass know your values, operate within your own comfort zone. I'm not telling you that you should jump right into talking to your kid about very intense mental health struggles or nudity or whatever. Use your supports. Ask for help if you're not sure how to address things with your young people. I know if I ever become a parent, I'll be reaching out, probably to a lot of you who responded to my survey today. (laughs) Okay, peeps, thanks so much for listening today. Next month, I had originally planned on continuing this human development trajectory that I've been on and digging into another sticky issue within the age group of adolescents. I will get to that topic in the new year, but I was feeling like I needed to take a little detour. Something you should know about me is I'm not very good at, like, planning things and routines and that kind of thing. Um, I've gotten better, but that's definitely not my strength, so anyway, I'm going to indulge that and I'm going to go on a detour. Uh, Next month, I will be talking about mental health terms that are being used incorrectly all the time. I hear this while bopping around my life, and although I like to have empathy and understand that a lot of people just don't fully understand. It can truly make me cringe when I hear false information going around about mental health. I won't spoil it by telling you the exact words or diagnoses that I'll be focusing on, but if you want to shoot me some guesses, please feel free to. You guys know where to find me on Instagram, at grapplingwithpopularbelief, or check out my website, grapplingpopularbelief.com. I also just started a YouTube channel There's not much on it yet, but I will be posting videos related and unrelated to my episode. So check that out and subscribe and make sure you tune in next month. Stay safe, everyone.